Um, can you hand me that uh, clock? Oh. Yeah. I had that note that says that I that bill. So I Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so it's time for me to share some Dharma thoughts. And uh, yeah, I actually love that teaching too on the 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 great turning these three you know areas of you know, refusal of systems that don't work, building new systems, and then the contemplative practice that allows us to, um, in, in, in that, you know, um, resistance and in that generation of new things to actually um, be present and, and to have all the choices that are available in presence. And uh, and I've been, um, as I mentioned before to some of you working on this piece of writing around spiritual friendship, uh, which is one of the, um, I guess, gifts that the Buddha pointed out that we have in the path to awakening and community. And, um, and as you were talking about this, I was thinking, oh, that's actually a... Um, it's not a new framework, but the way that I've been thinking about it um, is that, well, you know, the first day, I think, uh, I think it was Lupe who said something about um, allyship and um, what does that really mean and what is our, what is, wanting to know, like, what is the actual practice of allyship that people are, that people are engaged in? And um, within, social justice spaces within Buddhist spaces, this figure of the ally is one that is sometimes aspirational and also like not really working that well, like in terms of, you know, and besides the fact that it's, it's kind of a military phrase and, um, and it's also uh, an identity. Um, and I think what is really meant by that or what, at least what I'm trying to get at in terms of an allyship is not so much an identity, but a practice and one that can be kind of renewed on a daily basis, um, similar to, you know, any other spiritual practice. And so I just wanted to kind of point out or like in a, in a light way move through a framework that the Buddha taught that has been helpful for me in thinking through um, what spiritual friendship means when we're trying to be in deep solidarity with one another, especially across differences in identity or lived experience. And, um, and that is found in a, a text that is called the Mita Sutta, which means... Um, uh, the the sutta of the friend, the 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 teaching about about friendship, and oh, I'm starting to feel a little nervous because this is actually what I've been writing about for a while, and it's been a very just transparent. It's been so difficult, and part of it is um, 
the complexity of navigating what it is to be friends with one another when we are each in these, you know, um, selves that, you know, as we're talking about today, are in some ways completely unbounded and luminous, uh, and then in some ways um, so um, kind of caught in this these systemic structures that are not really working for anyone <laughs> and um and being aware of the own that my own complexity in those systems of you know both being the beneficiary of great privileges um many of which i was just born into and then also having been the recipient of um you know some forms of real oppression which i also um didn't choose and so um, you know, it doesn't feel simple, and that's why it's been such a, a headache to write about. Although um, it's coming along a little bit, I think. <laughs> I think I think a solid second draft is on the way. Um, but so, yeah, just to share with you a little bit um, what this this has been and what I've been thinking about in this area. Is that cool? Okay. So the the sutta itself. Uh, is the Buddha's um, have suggestions about what are the qualities of a spiritual friend. And the word um, spiritual friend, it's a translation of the Pali phrase Kalyanamita. Um, sometimes it's used to mean, like the Buddha called himself Kalyanamita, like I'm your spiritual friend. Um, so it can be like a capital T teacher, like an enlightened being like the Buddha. Um, it can also be you know, in the insight meditation tradition, the teacher-student relationship, we often describe it as a Kalyanamita relationship. So it's not um, a kind of guru style relationship where, you know, if Pascal's my teacher, then I'm like, have to be with him for life no matter what he does <laughs> you know we're always in this bond you know we're kind of both free to come and go and negotiate what that relationship looks like um so that's what we offer within the insight tradition and then um and then there's this kind of other layer of spiritual friendship which is one between you know community members and that's really the one that i'm most interested in for the purposes of this you know framework that i've been thinking through um and also another point of dissatisfaction with the allyship model as I've been taught it, and it has to do with the complexity of identity that it's often been said to me as like, oh, you know, a person with privilege is an ally to a person who is oppressed. And it's like, show me the person who only has privilege or only has oppression, especially as we, you know, we age, you know, like no one stays, you know, in their young middle age forever. <laughs> you know, we all experience the, the sense of, you know, what it is to become old, to become sick. Um, and, uh, and so it doesn't, it somehow it just seems like an oversimplification, right? One of the things that I'm really interested in, and part of what made me really interested in this kind of format for retreat is, you know, what is it like, um, especially for those of us who've experienced oppression in some area of our identity or lived experience, to become um, friends with and show up for the liberation of um, someone who is maybe experiencing oppression in a different site of their identity, right? And so kind of this vision of um, it, 
you know, the systems that bind us not working for any of us, but not working for us in different ways and um, being able to kind of um, you know, stand up for each other when the system is coming down on us um, or coming down on someone that we care about. I don't know if this is clear or making sense, but this is kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking through. So the, um, and, I, and while this is a little bit of a stretch, I don't think this is super, super far from what the Buddha intended because when you look at what happened with the early monastic order, you see that people were coming together from lots of different classes in India, um, some of whom were, you know, considered holy from birth, some of whom were um, uh, so oppressed that they were not even allowed to like, have their shadow fall on the body of someone who was from an upper class, right? So, 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 and then suddenly in the same community, wearing the same robes, no one can tell them apart. Um, and how is it that we actually you know, get along with such diversity of experience um, when we're seeking this path to liberation. So the Buddha had these seven qualities that he, he taught. And I'm just gonna tell you what they were and then how I've been thinking about them in terms of working together across differences. So the, the first, um, the, the, the Buddha said that the spiritual friend is one who gives what is hard to give, uh, does what is hard to do, and endures what is hard to endure that the spiritual friend tells you their secrets and keeps your secrets, that when misfortune strikes, they won't abandon you, and when you're down and out, they won't look down on you. And they will go with you to get your nails done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's my spiritual friend. <laughs> um, but, you know, so it's, I make a joke, but part of what I'm you know, seeing in this is that it's just such a, like, a rich kind of um, rigorous field of practice. Uh, and in the writing that I've been doing, I've been taking each one of these principles and working on a chapter and kind of thinking about, okay, um, a lot of these are phrased in the not, and so if we phrase this positively and then talked about thought about what this principle might mean for us um, in, in solidarity work uh, and just kind of organizing it like that. And so the first one, the, the spiritual friend gives what is hard to give. I, I was just thinking about the, the principle of generosity, which is also one of the paramis, one of the virtues in, in, in Buddhism. Um, in our current cultural context, some of the hardest things to give, I think, are time and attention. Um, and that, you know, being a, a true friend can often mean just um, the, the, the making of space and time and the ability to, um, to slow down and, and be with one another with full attentiveness. And then there's also the generosity that is around, you know, material goods and this is something that's really I'm seeing really interesting work in different communities around this um, there is a uh, a group in the Bay Area of um, indigenous um, American women um, called the that put together a land trust called the Sogoriate land trust has anyone heard about this um, so basically they they were they had this 
dream of reclaiming um, land in California and returning it to um, the indigenous people of California, returning the land to the um, native plants that grow there, and having um, native youth be able to steward the land and have the land be open and available for people to come and eat in, sleep in, ceremony, you know, really restoring this public space. And they um, funded this with some endowments from, from individuals, but they also helped fund it with what they called the, um, the Shumi land tax. And basically it's this website, y'all can look it up if you want, that you can go to and based on, you, you enter in your, your what? Postal. Yeah, your, your postal address. So like the where you live and whether you own or rent your apartment and kind of the size of it or, or house. And then it pops up and shows you, you know, a suggested amount to donate to this land tax as a direct form of reparations to pay to the indigenous people of that land. Um, and it just, it gives me chills even to think about it, you know, that we think this idea of, um, you know, material reparations for the... Um, for the benefit of living on land that used to be occupied by someone else and was taken through colonization. And it seems like, oh, how could we ever repay? Like, I can't even think about it. So, oh gosh, we just need to move forward. And it's like, oh no, we have actually, some of us have started to figure out how we can, you know, re restore some of that. And it gets complex, of course, you know, for people who were, you know, brought to America against their will, you know, um, in terms of, you know, enslavement of African people, right? And then suddenly we're here, and how do we reconcile with that history? And re what's our relationship to the indigenous folks of this land? Um, so I'm not saying it's easy and it's always cut and dry, but you know, when we think about generosity and giving what is hard to give, you know, um, that it might not be as hard as we think, and that there are some really creative ways that are um, restorative and spiritual that we can start to. Um, to, to return what's not rightfully ours, really. Um, another point on this generosity, and I probably won't spend all this time on all of the points, but just because this is one that I've been really hanging out with, I, in my research I got to talk with someone, a young person, who um, had, had, had basically divested of a $3 million trust fund to set up a um, funding project for um, the black transgender community to do like um, creative and healing projects with. And this is a person who was not a black person or a trans person, but someone who just was into, you know, was, um, looking at kind of the intersections of different identities and noticing that there were tremendous like health risks and poverty and um, just violence associated with being a black trans person in America and that this person, you know, she said she was looking at this information and she was thinking, you know, I got $3 million just for being born. Like I didn't earn this and learning more about how her family acquired that funding, she decided that she just didn't want it. And so she she returned it and it's you know it's it's sometimes unthinkable i'm like oh my gosh you know what i mean like would i have the you know would i have the insight to do that i don't know um but i find these examples really inspiring that there's actually there that it is actually possible to um 
uh, cultivate the heart that doesn't cling. Right? And that generosity practice is how we do that. So in the giving what is hard to give, um, oh, the, the next one is that we, a spiritual friend endures, oh, does what is hard to do. And I was thinking of this as a wise effort, which is one of the parts of the Eightfold Path. And in some ways, this was spoken to a little bit earlier that I think about awareness of privilege as something that's very hard to do because privilege is by nature you know, invisible to those of us who have it in the sites that we have it, right? We can really clearly see it in the sites that we don't. We're like, oh, that, I don't have that. <laughs> you know? But where we have it, it just seems like things are kind of um, going our way. Uh, we don't realize that we get a leg up in the world in a particular way. And, um, and so you're thinking about kind of like ongoing, I think both of ongoing political education, like being able to seek out data that disconfirms what we think we know about how things are um, from people who might know a little bit more than us in this particular area. Uh, and then also, you know, being willing to step into discomfort. And so many people have talked about that, and I really appreciate your willingness in various ways to do that here. Uh, one of my friends said something to me once that I thought was so beautiful. She's like, you know, when um, you step into discomfort, I get to step out of fear. Um, just in, that, so that we start to, rather than her having all of the burden of, you know, holding the fear and the risk and the duty to educate, that we start to redistribute the labor of that and we join each other in the, in the, in the middle place of um, uh, tenderness and wakefulness and awkwardness and like moving towards freedom together. Um, the third one is that the spiritual friend endures what is hard to endure. And sometimes phrase as um, the spiritual friend endures harsh and ill-spoken words, <laughs> which I think is like, oh. And I also think about this in terms of um, what it is to be a person who's experienced oppression or marginalization in a mixed, you know, mixed company, let's say, and the ways in which, you know, when we go into those spaces, we know and are prepared in some ways for the sting or the, you know, the paper cut of microaggression. Um, and that this can happen even in, I mean, even in, you know, for those of us who are queer and queer community, even for those of us who are POC and POC community. You know, it's, it's safer and it's never in, entirely safe. Um, at least that's been my experience. And so this principle of spiritual friendship as endurance, it's like, yeah, you know, the willingness to show up for those of us who have been marginalized or oppressed in some way is itself an act of friendship, right? And that, um, you know, it's a... It's a gesture towards trust and um, yeah, it's something I really try to remember about myself when, when I'm in that position and um, to be uh, 
you know, I see the value of my own showing up. And then also like when I'm in a more privileged site in relationship to someone else to really be like, wow, your presence here is a gift. And I don't need to like be creepy and, you know, like pounce on you to tell you that, but just to, to really like see, oh, I see the gift of this person and to hold them in my mind in that way. Um, the fourth one is that the spiritual friend tells you their their secrets, and I was thinking of this as you know in a in a world where um, we're kind of encouraged to hide both the ways in which um, systems have harmed us, like um, in relation to power, so um, and then also to hide the places where we actually. Um, don't know but feel like we should, you know, to be um, open about the times when we've experienced injustice in a space and to be able to, to say that is totally a gesture of friendship, right? It's this, um, tr- this uh, yeah, gesture of faith that I, can, I am um, speaking directly to the ways in which this this space isn't working for me or something else needs to be done. And this is a really radical shift in perspective, I think, from what usually happens when someone brings up something that's not working. That you, be, I mean, my experience is I've become the troublemaker. I've become the difficult one. You know, it's like I open my mouth and people are like, oh, you know, like roll their eyes, you know. How different it would be if, if it was received as like, wow, this is like, you know, if, if Kate really didn't care, she would just leave, you know, and that like the, like the, the desire to say something about what's not working and make it better is, is in fact a, a gesture of spiritual friendship, I think is, I would love to be received that way. I would love for others to receive me that way. Um, and then the, the fifth one, um, that the spiritual friend keeps your secrets I think of this as how we how we receive the the truth of the other. Um, and there's this um, there's a really great printer where I live in Philadelphia. It's called Philoprint. I don't know if anyone's seen these T-shirts, but there's like you know there's a tote bag that has a picture of a tiger and like there's like lightning flashing out of the tiger eyes and on the bottom it says "fuck it up, sis." <laughs> you know, like it's <laughs> there's just like these kind of like social justicey um, uh, sweatshirts and T-shirts and totes. Um, so we've been stocking up on them and giving them as fr- as gifts to friends. Um, but they they came out with a new one that I um, am is on my 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 list of things to acquire. <laughs> wasn't exactly accessible at that moment, but um, it says uh, trust black women. Um, and I've also seen ones that say believe black women. And I think you know when someone. The, the interesting thing about, and this is part of why I like this, like embodying systems work, and we, we, we're not going to do this exact one today, but there's a practice called the village where we actually do um, what we did in the groups of five, just as a big group. And I'll just do a little spoiler on that. Like one of the things that is, can be discovered in that space is that when we're occupying the physical center of a space, it is 
we don't usually see the outside of the space. Like we can get like, there's this spatial pattern that sometimes happens in this where a group of people will kind of get in the middle and they'll be like doing something together and they're having a super great time, you know, <laughs> like just like doing their thing in the middle of the space. And then, but not, and they'll, they'll think that everybody is doing it with them. And then when we start to hear, you know, how was that for other people? They're like, oh, someone was sitting by the wall over here, saw what we're doing, wasn't interested or even felt like turned off or threatened by it, went to the side and the people in the center didn't even realize that that person was there, but the person who was on the outside saw everything that was happening. And I think it's really similar in terms of our social structures that when we're centered in a particular way, we're not as, we don't have as much information about the margins, but people who are from a marginalized site in that way can completely see everything that's happening at the center as well as, you know, our own experience. And so it just makes sense to trust black women. (laughs) It just makes sense to trust you know, trans folk. It just makes sense to trust the people who are sitting, you know, who are occupying a position that is, you know, marginal to the dominant culture because they can actually see more and feel more and sense more from that subject position. Um, and so rather than, you know, hearing some perspective that someone else is offering from a different subject position than us, especially when it's a position that's been oppressed and think, oh, well, I don't see that, you know, um, to actually receive that is like, let me assume that that's true. Let me just sit with that for a moment and assume that that's true and see how that lands on my experience. And if there's even a percentage chance that it's true, how, how must I respond as a spiritual friend? So the, the sixth one is that when misfortune strikes, the spiritual friend won't abandon you. And I think this maybe is my favorite one because I'm really into loyalty lately, you know, and that's part of why I was foregrounding that in our 20-minute dance around this sense of loyalty to experience and being faithful to the moment-to-moment felt experience of this body. Um, And I think how that translates into one way that it could translate into our relational field um, you know, is similar to what we were talking about earlier with the Tonglen practice that um, when there is um, temporary misfortune, you know, whether it's as a result of our, you know, personal tragedy that happens um, to all of us, you know, being hurt, being separated from who and what we love, um, illness, death, our own others, um, or whether it's the kind of suffering that um, is uh, um, oppression, meaning that it's compounded by institutional forces. Um, that when misfortune strikes us, when it strikes each other, when it strikes someone out there, there can be this sense of like, like a, um, a little repulsion. Um, I noticed this, and I'm not proud of this, but this is just the truth. You know, sometimes um, when I see someone who's having a really hard time on the street who appears to be living on the street or, you know, um, maybe doesn't like smell so great or, you know, that there's actually this suffering that's clearly happening. And, you know, 
not proud of this, but sometimes my first instinct is like a little step back, you know, or a little like, um, uh, this is the, this gesture is a gesture of aversion, right? And so, um, you know, part of our training is, as Dharma practitioners, as spiritual friends, is training around how to stay, you know? That's what the Tonglen practice helps me to do. And that I think is the simplest way that I can think about what loyalty is, is just staying with, you know, moment after moment after moment and not um, abandoning out of my own discomfort for my own or someone else's misfortune. Um, And then if I notice that I've taken the backward step or I've shut off or shut down or pushed away to come back, you know. And this last one, when you're down and out, the spiritual friend doesn't look down on you. It's similar. Um, but I was thinking of this in terms of the ups and downs of life. In the um, Buddhist teachings, they, there's this teaching on the eight vicissitudes. It's the basically ways in which we will all experience pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame. Oh, that's the worst one. <laughs> praise and blame. And, um, and uh, fame and disrepute. Disrepute's not so good either. Um, Disrepute? Not, not so good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so this is, you know, what the Buddha says happens to each person in life. Like, no one gets all the praise and none of the blame, um, as we well know, if we've ever, you know, talked to, dealt with uh, any other humans. <laughs> um, and then, so that's like kind of in the individual life that we all. Sh- have and then I think there's this um, within systems of privilege and oppression there are groups of people who are down and out um, not because of our own um, like moral failing or lacking of intelligence or anything of this nature but because of these actual systems that you know kind of keep the keep the, that rely on down and out to have a, um, you know, up and swinging, right? And so um, I think the work of the spiritual friend is to really like know and see clearly that when a person or a, um, a group, especially a group that's been marginalized or oppressed by society appears down and out that that actually has absolutely nothing to do with the inherent, um, capability, uh, dignity, worthiness of ourselves or the other we're experiencing, and that the spiritual friend has an unwavering view of that goodness and that worth, no matter what it looks like. And so I translate this, when the spiritual friend doesn't, you're down out, the spiritual friend doesn't look down on you as this, as this principle of equity that, um, and it, it is relation, related to compassion that, in the compassion training, if we are trying to offer love, but from a position of better than, it's not actually compassion, it's called pity. It's like, oh, I have so much, you have nothing, you know, let me give to you. The compassion is actually only, only happens as a relationship between equals. And so, you know, I think um, 
<laughs> awkwardness is an unexpected theme of this weekend. <laughs> um, and also the kind of the subtlety and the dance of, oh, there's no, no one rule of how to follow this all the time. But I think of these as points of like orientation or compasses. And I like to take one to work with it for a little while. Like, you know, I talked about generosity so much because right now that's my, my, um, my compass that I'm working with and my spiritual friendship toolkit so that when I'm in a moment where I feel like I don't know what to do or what would, what's my, how can I show up as an ally at this moment? I can simplify that for myself by thinking, what's the most generous thing to do right now? And then I can just do that. And we can do that with loyalty. We can do that with wise effort. We can do that with compassionate listening or any one of these principles to just take it and say, you know, rather than think, oh, it's so, so hard. It's so crazy. You know, it's so, it's so, you know, it's just like, what would, what would be um, the most equitable thing to, to offer in this moment? How can I, how can I see this? How can I enact my view that um, we are in a relationship between equals you know? and that we don't need anyone else's permission to do that is kind of great. And I think, you know, it will not mean that we will never mess up. We will totally mess up. It will be awkward. It will be, <laughs> we will, you know, be harmed. We will apologize. Like this is, you know, um, I don't see any other way if we're in the kind of change movements where we are actually trying to work with in, um, I hate to use this word, but like diverse community, you know? Um, and I think that there are some really valid change movements that, that are not trying to do that, that are really like, this is a black liberation movement among black people, and we're, we're actually not in negotiation with whiteness in this particular part of the social movement. Completely valid, same thing, you know, with th those spaces are needed. Um, but for me, I really feel like my role is in this, in this um, like, I was gonna say multiplicitous, I don't know if that's a real word, space, you know? <laughs> Um, this kind of um, interdependent, interse intersectional space. And, and so it gets messy in here. And I guess what I want to say is the fruition of this path of spiritual friendship isn't that we always are confident, isn't that we always get it right, but that we get to be um, more uh, genuine and we get to be more real. And um, we have the possibility of just really um, uh, connecting, you know. And um, and the small moments of that are really, really satisfying and worth it to me. You know, worth the discomfort and worth the awkwardness and worth the figuring it out, which seems like a lot of the path too. So, um, so that's what I want to talk about for. The spiritual friend, yeah. Can you um, wait one second for the mic just so people can hear you? Oh, okay. Um, the, maybe the fans, keep the, is that what you were suggesting? The, the, keep the AC but lower the fan? Thank you, Michael. Yeah.
that you know I think I, I didn't mean to imply that like if there's a sense of a like having an abundance that we can't give you know that it's a perfect place to give from um, I think what I meant is that like the idea that there's a kind of giving that can happen um, which I don't know maybe better than not giving at all right um, but I don't think it fits squarely in this space of generosity where um, me giving something um, actually creates greater distance between the person that I'm giving to, or the group that I'm giving to, rather than shortens the distance, because it it um, it it could it's giving in a way that makes me feel as if. Um, like I'm a better person than they are or something, or that um, that they are um, kind of hopeless and, and not capable and don't have um, kind of all the tools that they need to um, become, become free. Does that make sense? perfect and that's perfect yeah yeah no it's beautiful I'm so glad you had that you know what a blessing Like maybe people buy him shoes and he returns them and keeps the cash. Like I 
never know. But I think my my desire not to be a sucker um, in that instance overrode my generous intention. Mm-hmm. And I think if I hadn't seen him before a, a while ago with that same sign, I would have been like, oh, let me take you to the shoe store right now and we'll get those boots. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like yeah, I think having seen him twice with this, like it made me suspicious and I think I'm a lot less generous to street people, for example, because I uh, like I feel good about giving to organizations that I feel like are doing good work for street people or it sounds like they're good but giving I don't know, so I am kind of having difficulty navigating that. Um Again, coming from this place of like having had my family put like you for my, my family putting me through a good school and like all of the advantages that that gave me in terms of being able to get a good job, mm-hmm. you know, and so I feel like I should share, but I'm also like part of me is sort of like mm, I don't want to be had. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a that's a yeah. I mean that that feeling of oh, I don't want to be had. I don't want to you know be taken advantage of you know that um or and also the what are you going to do with the money you know is, is a um you know those are all as you said you know barriers to um giving and um i think good places to notice and to practice with right like um to both notice the just notice the impact of that like not giving you know for us and for the other person um yeah I guess because it's such a like rich place of practice I don't want to you know lay too much more on top of that um but I I'm thank you for sharing that and I think it's something that a lot of folks can relate to um around the you know dramatic need that that we're presented with on a day-to-day basis and how we relate to that based on what we have and kind of what we've been taught about um, what makes a person worthy of receiving um, help, you know, um, and what it is to have like earned what we have. It's just, it's, um, it's a lot, you know, and that's why they call it a practice, <laughs> you know. Um, I see there's another hand, but I, I want us to do a, another practice actually. Can we um, hold it and maybe see if it's still up um, towards the end of the day?